Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. Remain faithful. That was the title and theme of our virtual conference in 2020. With all the disruptions to normal life last year, uh, with so many church leaders feeling tired and all of us feeling so discouraged and maybe some of us even ready to give up, we knew we needed to hear a message that we need to remain faithful that's why each session in, in our virtual conference from Matt Chandler and Ray Ortland and Tony Marita and Tori Mayo and Jen Wilkin and Rudy Rubio, they all encourage us to hang on, to endure, to keep going, to keep making disciples, to stay the course, and to go the distance with Christ. And personally, I'm so glad we threw our virtual conference in 2020. And I am so excited to announce our in-person conference happening this year with the theme of mission and moxie, getting getting back and on track and, and remembering our mission. So let me, let me give you the dates. Uh, we have two times, two dates that they're happening in four different cities, okay? So October 4th through 6th is in Jacksonville, Florida. That's going to be our largest gathering. And then, then these other three cities, uh, they're all going to be happening October 11th through 13th, and that's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that's in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and in Reno, Nevada. So October 4th through 6th is in Jacksonville, Florida, and October 11th through 13th is Milwaukee, Oklahoma City, and Reno. So you should have received an email from X29. Uh, Go ahead, save that, uh, check your email inbox, and read that for more information and save the date. And so for this week's episode of the X29 Podcast, I just want to put before us the the great message that our president, uh, Matt Chandler, gave at the 2020 virtual conference on how vital it is for us to know our risen Lord, to know and live and serve from our union with him and walking with him through whatever comes our way. So let's listen to Matt Chandler. Well, hello. When we made the decision uh, to have a large U.S. conference, man, I couldn't tell you how excited I was uh, to see many of you again, to get to know your team members. So, so, so often uh, my interaction in Acts 29 is that I get to meet uh, the lead pastor, but I don't get to see and meet much of their team or their elder boards. And so I was excited uh, about this conference where I was going to get to meet uh, student pastors and children's ministers and, and elders and, and those men and women that God have flanked senior pastors with. Uh, so that the mission of God would go forward, uh, so that a highly contextualized, biblically serious, spiritually alive, hungry to have the gospel known to the ends of the earth team. I I wanted to meet and celebrate and rejoice. uh, And yet here is yet, if we're honest, uh, another disappointment in 2020. Our primary passage today uh, is going to be found in John's Gospel, chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to get to that here in a moment, but I want to speak here uh, to the realities of 2020. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is that, that you have had to endure some unique and extremely challenging issues in 2020. Uh, Pastoral ministry the past year has been brutal. I think life has been difficult for everyone, uh, but man, especially as you've tried to faithfully minister in the local church. If you've had ever any doubts 
uh, that you have an enemy that is hell-bent on destroying you, uh, I would ask you just real quick to, to wake up because you're feeling it and sensing it as we tried to figure out how do you do services when you can't actually do live services and what does that mean about this and how do we create this and what do we do for our students and how are we going to help our children and what are you going to do about with, with all of that going on? Then, then you've got uh, the political um, divisions of our day where almost everything we're saying or not saying is being seen or read through this kind of political agenda. And then on top of that, uh, you, you had uh, the race riots that broke out and you had people thinking you should say more and people thinking you should say less. Uh, and then on top of all that, there's just the wear and tear of ministry. But here, here's what I wanted to say before we dove in. And, and I don't, man, I don't want this to sound paternalistic in any way, but I'm proud of you. Like you're here, you're still here. You have taken those shots all year long. You have taken those shots and you're here. You're in front of a, a computer. You're in your sanctuary and you're watching this on the screen. You're, you're still here so that hell's plan uh, to steal your confidence, to destroy your life, to rob you of joy in service to the king has been thwarted and you're hanging in there. And maybe you're like, brother, I don't know that it's been thwarted. Uh, I am on fumes. Well, I just wanted to read a passage to you. And this isn't part of my sermon, but, but I wanted to read this passage to you. It's a passage that I continue to go to myself in this season. It's 1 John Chapter four, verse four. Many of you might already know the passage. L listen, listen to the word of the Lord. In fact, why don't you go ahead and just close your eyes there where you are. You can just close your eyes. You don't have to turn there. You can set, turn your phone over. Uh, I really got the sense as I was prepping for this that the Holy Spirit wanted to minister to many of you. So if you just quiet your heart before the Lord, just let me read the word of God over you. You ready? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay, don't, don't be too quick. Just stay there. Let me, let me read it again. You, pastor, minister, preacher, elder, children's minister, worship pastor, education minister, small group leader, preschool director, you are from God and have overcome them. Now, why? Why can we say that with any confidence? Well, the next sentence fills in the gap, right? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, this is important to note because, now, now you can look back up at me. This is important to note because it's our turn in the great war. You tracking with me? It's, it's our turn. Like when we read Hebrews 11, we read our Bible and we see those men and women of bold faith who, who watched a, a culture disintegrate, who watched division, who watched idolatry, who watched the people of God fizzle out and they stand, they stayed firm in their conviction. They stayed faithful to Jesus. They stood with Yahweh and said, no, he is the Lord Almighty. It's our turn in the middle of all of this to burn like those lights have burned from yesteryear. So the whole time you've been in ministry and you come across those faithful men and women in the Bible, I pray that, that you haven't over-romanticized that. 
Uh, I pray that, that you haven't imagined their lives as being so devoid of difficulty, so devoid of loss, so devoid of disappointment that they're just kind of happily skipping along uh, with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the minute like the, the men and women of the Bible, when it was their turn, man, they were crying out to God. Uh, they were humbled before God. They were clinging desperately to God. And now it's our turn in this period of human history to believe that we are of God, that, that we are of God. And, and not only that, that we have overcome them. And, and on top of that, we have overcome them and we are from God because he who lives in me, who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world. Like that's true about you. It's not true about you uh, like later. It's true right now. He didn't say we will overcome them. He says we have overcome them. He didn't say you will be from God. He says that you are of God. These are present realities in the middle of Ephesus, a dwindling, broken culture. And here we have the encouragement from the apostle John. Little children. You are from God. You are of God. You have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Why don't you do me a favor and maybe, maybe you're not tired at all. Maybe you've I mean, you've just been thriving in this season. You guys are crushing it and you're not tired. You're not weary. You're not distracted. You're not overwhelmed. You're not frustrated. You're just like, like Jesus himself woke you up this morning. Like, hey, we've got that. We've got the 829 thing today. Once you wake up. But, so, but I'm guessing that's not many of you. So here's what I would love to be able to do just as we get started here today. I would just love to pray over you, that the Holy Spirit would remind your heart of the goodness of Jesus, that whatever's been wrung out of you in this difficult time, the Spirit of God might replace in you abundantly in this season. So why don't you do me a favor? Would you just kind of cup your hand there where you are? Again, you, you might be in your house. You might be in y'all's sanctuary or in an education room, a Sunday school room, a small group, whatever. Um, uh, why don't you just kind of cup your hands there in front of you? And I just want to pray over you, and then we're going to dive into this passage today. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. You know their hurts. You know their weariness. And I just ask that you administer to them right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Spirit of the living God, as the apostle Paul prayed, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you would remind them again. Let them feel your love for them. I pray where there's weariness, you just flood with energy. I, I pray that they would right now in this moment, whatever they're carrying, that they might give it over to you, that you would allow them to simply breathe and then to receive from your word today the encouragement it's meant to bring. And so I bless my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. I pray peace over them in the name of Jesus. I pray power over them in the name of Jesus. I pray gladness over them in the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of his name. Amen. Um, my, my topic 
uh, to share uh, here as we kick this thing off is faithful to Jesus. And so we've got, we're just getting back to the basics here. Just going to be really simple and straightforward as we think about planting churches and leading gospel ministries and, and serving uh, the church that we're in in whatever capacity that we have. Even if you're uh, like, I don't know how your church is divided, but I know there's sometimes ministry services and ministry. Th- those are both called by God in order to serve uh, the beauty of the gospel in a given location. So regardless of what your spot is on the field. I just want to encourage you, and my, my topic is faithfulness to Jesus. And here, uh, I think if you would have caught me two years ago, and, and you would have said, Chandler, what does it look like? What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus Christ? I, I think I, in fact, I don't think, I know I would have spent a lot of time with you talking about abiding in the presence of Jesus and, and connecting to Jesus, uh, to, to create a rule of life in your life so that you might throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout the year reconnect with Jesus at a deep and intimate place. And yet uh, I started to realize probably about a year ago that for all of my encouraging and teaching and, and trying to help people understand that if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, then, then especially in this climate, then we're going to need to abide with Jesus. We're going to need to be in the presence of Jesus. We're going to have to taste and see that he is good. Like, like that, that, I'd be in John 15. That, that's where I probably would have gone here. And yet uh, I've come to believe that one of the reasons that men and women, whether they be in vocational ministry or not, have a hard time abiding in Jesus, with a, which ultimately then affects their long-term faithfulness to Jesus, because you will not judge faithfulness to Jesus by a checklist, a pastoral checklist, right? I preach the books of the Bible, check. Uh, theologically, here's where I stand, check. Uh, like what the Lord has always been after is your heart. What the Lord always, look right at this is going to blow, maybe this will blow your mind. Listen, what, look right at me. What God has always wanted, look, hear me, is you. Do you hear that? It's not, I want you to do all these things for me. No, he's like, I want you and I want your heart and I want your mind and I want to work in you and I want to remind you and I want to stir up in you love and devotion and gladness in my name. In fact, I'll tell anyone who will listen, what your church needs most is not just your skills and abilities. It needs your heart fully alive in Jesus Christ. It needs your heart, pastor. Needs your heart, student minister. Needs your heart, worship pastor. Needs your heart fully alive in Jesus. And so you have a certain skill set that's necessary for the place that you play on your team. And yet, the best thing that you can bring to the church that you minister in is your heart fully alive in Jesus Christ. And so uh, what I have found is that people have a hard time getting there. Some pastors, ministers, they, they have a hard time getting there. And so I could say, abide, I could say what I just said to you till I'm blue in the face and, and people would get motivated for a few moments and then crash out because there's this thing that kind of robs them from being able to abide with Jesus in the way that we were designed to abide in him. Maybe... Maybe this story will help. Um, Years ago now, I mean, it had to be 10, 11 years ago. We're on our family walk. My son is little. Reed's like three, uh, maybe three and a half at the time. He's on a big wheel. So maybe that would, uh, maybe that'll kind of create in your mind how old he was. So he's in a, he's in a big wheel and we're on this family walk and he's kind of riding. He learns how to, you know, uh, Tokyo drift that thing. And, and, and he's kind of riding his thing and he rides up next to me. I'm at the, um, you know, I'm kind of point man on the family walk and he slides up next to me. He said, Hey, um, daddy, 
I was like, what's up, buddy? He said, Jesus died for my sins. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. We've done it, Lauren. Let's write that book on parenting. And, and I, I said, that's right, buddy. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And, and, and then what happened? Right. Cause I now, now I know I'm getting the whole thing, right? I'm getting resurrection and ascension and second coming. I'm just, I'm testing how well we've done here. And so I'm like, okay, buddy. Yes. Praise God. He did die for, and, and then what happens next? And I could see his wheels turning. He, he stopped making eyes. He's just kind of looking up at the, and then I see this kind of growing smile on his face. And he, and he looks at me with these big bright eyes and he says, and then the Easter bunny gives me candy. And then I was like scratch writing the book and then I whipped him. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't whip him for that. But, but, but I think what happened to Reed um, as a child happens to many of us. And I think that what has happened steals from us the confidence of abiding in the presence of Jesus that shapes us in such a way that faithfulness to Jesus till the end, it, it's a, like it's happening. Like there's no way it's not happening. And so uh, what I've learned is that if I need to talk, if we're going to talk about abiding in the presence of Jesus, we've got to tackle this problem first. And, and what I mean by this problem is, is that we're not quite understanding what happens in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what the implications are for us. And, and I don't, I know right now, some of you are like, yes, do it. And others of you might not know exactly what I'm talking about, but, but here's, here's why we're in John. Uh, in the gospel of John, one of the big themes in the gospel of John is this idea of life and real life being made available in Jesus Christ. And so the book even starts that way, right? In John chapter one, what does it say? That in him was life and that life was the light of men. So, so what's in Jesus life? Now we're not talking about like oxygen in the lungs life. We're talking about life like all that we were meant to live in. And then when he meets the woman at the well, what's the promise? If you'll drink this water, streams of living water will burst forth unto eternal life. And then you get it again in John chapter eight, rivers of living water will flow from you over and over. This promise, life's in my name. Life's all right. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That Jesus is just habitually in the gospel of John saying, you want life? It's only found in me. He's not, he's saying, I am life. You want full life? Full life's found in me. You tired of hitting the ceiling of everything you're chasing? It's because those things point to me as life. They're not life. Marriage isn't life. Children isn't life. Money's not life. Sex isn't life. I'm life. Those are good gifts of God's grace, but they're not meant to be life. They point to life. And so this is one of the great themes in the gospel of John. And then that takes us up to, um, well, let me do this first. Let me just continue to set us up before we get to this passage. So the New Testament is filled with this kind of imagery that we were transferred from um, sin and death and into life, into uh, spiritual vibrancy, into the fullness of life or the abundant life that Jesus promises. And the language most frequently used to describe the life that Jesus has come to bring is the analogy of being dead in our trespasses and sins and being made alive in Christ. And so I want to read some of that to you again. This is, remember, we're just, this is basic stuff, but I want to talk about it in a way that, that maybe, um, 
clicks or ignites or reminds, encourages, builds you up in this season. Romans 6, 8 says this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there we are, sin, death, can't get out, broken, stuck. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, did what? He made us alive. So you see, you were dead and now you are alive. You were dead and now you are alive. Colossians 2, 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. So this is one of the great themes of the Bible. You want the life of Christ? You're dead and you got to be brought into it. You got to be transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, out of darkness, out of death, out of brokenness, into his life. And so this is that picture of coming into the life of Jesus Christ. And so as we work through uh, the gospel of John, what we see is this text is revealing something about this reality that Jesus makes us alive from what is dead. And so let's look at this together. This is John 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming... She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who's coming into the world. So um, what, what Jesus is doing in this moment, and really what I want to dial into is this idea where Jesus is like, he, she says, oh, I know on that day, that, that great and glorious day, he will be resurrected. And Jesus goes, well, okay, but this is bigger than that. I am the resurrection. So yes, but. So, so in essence, you could say, oh, okay, it's, it's bigger than heaven. It's bigger, like, like me, I, I'm bigger than heaven. I'm bigger than just an afterlife. I'm what I'm doing, what I'm accomplishing. It's, it's bigger than that. So yes, and, or yes, but I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am the resurrection. Yes, he will be resurrected, but I am the resurrection itself. So what Jesus is about to do in raising Lazarus from the dead is giving us a physical picture of both a spiritual and physical reality. And what I mean by that is we are all going to one day be physically resurrected in physical bodies like Lazarus, except there won't be another death. Lazarus had to, had to experience it a second time. That will not be true for us. 
upon our resurrection from the dead. But what we're being promised here and being shown here is that not only will there be that physical resurrection, but our spirits can be resurrected in Christ now, that I am the resurrection and the life. You want life? You gotta be raised from the dead. And it's good news for you because I'm also the resurrection. In fact, I, I am the resurrection and the life. You find them both in me. And, and this is such a big deal. This is such a big deal that Jesus is the resurrection and life that upon Jesus's resurrection, what the apostles primarily go about proclaiming is not just his death, but primarily his resurrection. Like if you ever pay attention to what the apostles are teaching in the book of Acts, you will see some references to his death, but the point of emphasis and the thrust is his resurrection. That death has been defeated, that sin has been put to death. So, so that the great theme, the great push, the great oomph of the Christian life is resurrection and not just a new heaven and earth being able to raise and reign and rule with him. But right now, down in our guts, resurrected from sin and death. Let me show you this. This is Acts 4, 1 and 2. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What are they proclaiming in Jesus? Resurrection, resurrection from the dead. Acts chapter four, starting in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. In Acts 17, verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And, and maybe between the annoyed and babbler, this is making you think of some of the emails you've gotten uh, over the last six months, right? What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, so you hear this great theme, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus is raised from the grave. He ascends into heaven and the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit scatter across the ancient world. And what are they preaching? It, it, it does mention his death quite often, but the emphasis, the thrust of first century gospel proclamation is resurrection and not just heaven resurrection, like spirit right now, resurrection, death to life in your soul, in your guts. Now, listen to me. We are a cross-centered organization, right? I want you to hear me say that. We believe in the depravity of man and his inability to fix what's wrong in his life. What's most wrong with man is not lust. What's most wrong with man isn't violence. What's most wrong with men isn't covetousness. What's most wrong with men, it's none of those things. Humankind's issue is sin and sin that's brought about spiritual death at the very foundation of how they've been. So the solution to that is not self-help. The solution to that is not for them to work harder. The solution to that is not better moral behavior. The solution to that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In fact, it might surprise you 
to, to note that, well, let me just read you this quote. This is Kenneth Clark. He's an art historian. And here's what he says about this idea of the crucifixion and the resurrection, where the emphasis should lie or historically lied. He said, we have grown used to the idea that crucifixion is the supreme symbol of Christianity, that it is a shock to us to realize how late in the history of Christian art its power was recognized. So its power was recognized. In the first art of Christianity, it hardly appears. The earliest example on the doors of Santa Sabine in Rome around 430 AD is stuck away in a corner almost out of sight. Early Christian art is concerned with miracles, healings, and with hopeful aspects of faith like the ascension and resurrection. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I hate that I have to do that. I just have to do this. Let me tell you what I'm not saying. Uh, I am not saying that the cross should be diminished in any way. In fact, we should never diminish the cross of Christ. By it, we have been saved. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. So we're not diminishing the cross to talk about, look at, and gaze upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave as the resurrection in life that's imputed and imparted to us via his righteousness. So we're not diminishing the cross. We see in the cross the atoning work of Jesus for our sins and the cross. We see the love of God for humankind in the cross. We see God keeps his promises. And in the cross, we see Jesus enthroned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It does not diminish the cross to celebrate more fully the resurrection of Jesus. Um, I had this conversation with a long time member. It was a great one. It wasn't one where you're like, oh gosh, here I got to go listen. And no, it was we, we talked about the fact that we live in a day and age where everything is either or when so much in reality is both and. And, and so like the way it's played out at the village church is in my first probably five, six, seven years here, uh, there were people that were like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're depraved, but doesn't he know who we are in Christ now? And, and, and then now lately when I've been pushing more around this kind of thing, people are like, yeah, but are we still reformed? Y- yes. Yes, we believe in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross to save sinners who cannot save themselves. And then we believe that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, promises are fulfilled and things are given to us as we join with the resurrection and the life. Now, let me tell you why uh, this is important if we're talking about long-term faithfulness to Jesus Christ. What we're talking about when we talk about the resurrection, I think comes back to how you perceive yourself. Or maybe um, a better way to put this would be, it, it informs your primary identity. All right, so, so let me ask a couple of questions. Is your primary identity, your primary identity, so I'm, I'm saying that on purpose, like that, the way you primarily see yourself, relate to yourself, think about yourself, consider yourself, is your primary identity that of a sinner Or is your primary identity a son or daughter of the king of the universe, right? The king of the Lord. Now, I'm not asking, do you still sin? I'm not asking that. I know the answer to that pastor. I know the answer to that minister. I don't need to ask that question because I know the answer. It's the same for all of us. Yes. What I'm asking is what is your primary identity? Are you first and foremost a sinner Or are you first and foremost a beloved son and daughter of God on high? 
But let me ask you this one. Maybe this one will, we've got to correct this. Let me ask this. Is your heart dirty, broken, wicked? Is your heart a dirty, broken, wicked thing? Or look right at me. Or are you indwelt by the Spirit of God? Again, I'm not asking, do you have compulsions? I'm not asking, uh, do you struggle with this? I'm not saying, do you have a tendency to get angry when you shouldn't? Or do you have a compulsion towards lust when you know? I'm not asking that. Like I said, I know the answer to that. Your primary identity, how you understand yourself, relate to yourself, consider yourself. Is your heart, that, that kind of core piece of who you are, is it dirty, broken, and wicked? Or is it indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Word of God answers that, does it not? What happens at at Pentecost? Why is it better for us that Jesus go away? Right? Do you know the Gospel of John where where there Jesus is trying to get the disciples ready for life without him? He goes, no, 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 don't. Don't be sad. Look, it's better for you that I go away because when I go away, the helper's coming. And when the helper is coming, he will convict the world of sin. You will walk in power and know righteousness. It is better for you that I depart. So, so Jesus is saying, look, look, guys, it's better for you for me not to be here because I'm going to glory and I'm going to send the spirit of God. He's going to dwell in your heart. He's going to take that heart of stone. He's going to make it a heart of flesh. He's going to take that wickedness. He's going to wipe it clean. He's going to take that brokenness. He's going to heal it and put it back together. Look right at me. Your heart isn't wicked anymore in Jesus Christ. You hear me? It's just not. And that doesn't mean you're perfect or you're not going to mess up. That's not what that means. That means when I think about the, what's going on in my heart, I'll know who's actually talking to me. Does that make sense to you? Maybe it doesn't. Let me flesh it out. Uh, although I will at times have a compulsion that steps out of line with the word of God and Jesus's desire for my life, that compulsion no longer is born from my heart because my heart is new. So now I've got the lie of an enemy. Uh, I've got an old pattern of believing. I've got some residue from the old man that I need to bring to Christ. But what I don't give myself over to any longer is the shame associated with the compulsion. Why? Because that's not me. Here's the way the apostle Paul said that. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, loves me, and gave himself up for me. Listen, Martin Luther banged on the Wittenberg door and said all of the Christian life is one of confession and repentance. I would say amen to that. But confession and repentance are very different than shame. And so we will not abide in the presence of Jesus. We will not believe we are actually welcomed there. We will not receive the grace, mercy, and spiritual vitality necessary for long-term faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of this moment in history without abiding in his presence. And we're not gonna abide in his presence if we, like, we feel like we're filthy and wicked and evil. And No, no, but if we feel beloved, delighted in, rejoiced in, we embrace what God has said is true about us, now we'll abide. And once you abide, there's joy and vitality and power and and then there's faithfulness. But I think if you get this wrong and there's only the cross and there's not the resurrection, I think you wear down. I think you start to believe the lie about you. Oh, I am wicked. Oh, I am this. I am that. And that's not true. You are a son 
or daughter of God on high. You have been made perfect in his sight. You are delighted in. You are rejoiced over. You are the beloved. So hard for us. So hard for us. See, our primary identity is going to lead to our understanding and purpose in the Christian life. To, to understand this, now we begin to actually live out our purpose. So, so a question would be, like, is, and here's where I think pastors and ministers can wear out. It is like the primary call on your life uh, to be good enough, to be strong enough, to lead well enough, to, to be faithful enough, to click all the boxes, to lead and make disciples away? Or is it to be known by the Lord, to walk in his presence, and then to lead out of that vitality that's found in his presence? See, see one will wear you out. One is just about clinging to Jesus, and then with Jesus, one step at a time, stepping into what he puts in front of you in that season and that period of time. And, and you can do that. You can do that. Gosh, I, I pray by the grace of God you're doing that now. But if I'm honest, I, I see far too few ministers and pastors living out of that strength living out of that strength. So like, yeah, just imagine, what would it be like for you to believe, for you to believe, and here's what's crazy about us, to believe that what the Bible says is true about you is true. And, and then to um, happily come into the presence of God and, and have your soul replenished and, and be filled with grace anew for that season. To not feel like you had to carry all the weight of it. Listen, I remember uh, my first couple of years at the village, uh, I would mow my backyard and I had this little mantra where I don't have to carry all this. I don't have to carry all this. I don't have to carry all this. I don't. And I just felt overwhelmed. I felt like there was no way I, I was long-term going to make this. That it was unsustainable. Something had to change and I knew the answer was something about abiding, but I, I had a hard time believing that I, I could. Uh, I, I knew I could preach. I knew uh, I could lead. I knew I could do those things. And yet internally there was this thing churning in me that made me feel like I had to take it on. I had to own it. I had to drive it. I had to make it happen. I needed to be excellent in all things. And, and I, needed, I needed that not to die altogether, but to be redeemed and, and to be redeemed by melting into what Jesus says about me, melting into what the Bible says is how God sees me and, and walks with me and empowers me and strengthens me and is for me, not against me. I needed that. And, I, and I'm praying that some of you might actually experience that today. Way too few pastors, ministers, worship um, leaders, small group coaches, whatever your role, like can you, I've said this at the beginning, I wanna say it again. What your church needs now, regardless of your position, is your heart fully alive in Jesus. My guess is the hiring process had, yes, loving Jesus is permission to play at a church. At least I would hope. Uh, I would hope if that's not a part of your, your kind of consideration as you hire somebody after this, um, get make that a part of it, right? If like this person really loves Jesus should be on the list of things, not just skill sets. And so my guess is you have the position you have because you have certain skill sets that are necessary for that part in the organization. And so, yes, praise God, you've got some skill sets, but, but now what you can most readily bring to the table that I think has transforming power in an organization, what has transforming power in a church community is a heart fully alive in Jesus, I think you can feel the thinness 
when you do ministry without abiding with him. And like I said, I don't think you can abide with him until you quite understand what we're talking about in regards to the resurrection. So I wanna, I wanna end with this. It actually happened in, in Acts 29 uh, event, but I keep thinking of it because of the day in which we live. So I'm watching what, what appears to be the disintegration, uh, certainly the deconstruction uh, of our nation. Uh, we see it unraveling almost everywhere we look. There certainly is a spiritual battle for her soul. There's always been. It's just kind of on the news every night now. We can feel it. We're feeling wore out. We're feeling exhausted. We're feeling this is unwinnable. Um, and yet, uh, several years ago, we went, we were in uh, Rome, Italy for our European conference, the Acts 29 European conference. And we had one day to kind of see the sites. And so I, I wanted to see more than anything else. I just wanted to see the Colosseum. Um, and so I know you're like, well, Chandler, maritime prison's there. You could have seen where Paul and Peter, yeah, yeah, great. It's right across the street. I wanted to see the Coliseum. And, and so we go and, and I paid 20 euros for a ticket to, to walk through the Coliseum. And so uh, I, I paid 20 bucks. Uh, uh, our, our God is a brilliant historian. He's kind of explained, I mean, I think he's a brilliant horse. Today. He just could have made all that up. But uh, we're walking around the Coliseum in Rome and, and he's given us this story about um, how the Coliseum was actually built uh, in part um, by uh, the gold and wealth that was in Jerusalem when they destroyed it in, in 70 AD. And then uh, it was ultimately the Christian elites that put an end to the games uh, as, as Rome began to decline. And, and what I thought, here I am in the Colosseum where they uh, fed us to lions, uh, where uh, they killed us with the sword, where they imprisoned some of our church fathers, where, where they, um, they set the might of Rome, which makes the United States look like it's in diapers, right? It, it's uh, 1,500 years. 1,500 years. Rome ruled the known world from India to England. To put that in context, the whole period of the judges in the Old Testament is about 300 years, right? That's the best guess we have, about 300 years. And so the United States, we're not even to 300 yet, much less 1,500. And yet here I am, here I am a couple thousand years later, 20 bucks from an unknown land that they would have no concept of where I'm from, buying for $20 a ticket to walk through their ruins. So where they meant to stamp out, they meant to destroy, they meant to cut off, They meant to eradicate the church of Jesus Christ. We have gone farther than anyone could have ever imagined. When I think about even the scope of our network right now, we're on six continents on this planet. There are Acts 29 churches. When I think about the languages represented across the 829 network, when I think about where we're actually working right now and where we're seeing God produce a kind of fruitfulness that that really is beyond us. It's by his grace alone that we're seeing what we're seeing in the Middle East, that we're seeing what we're seeing across Europe, that we're seeing what we're seeing in Australia, that we're seeing what we're seeing now pushing up into Asia like God is blessing us. He is working. And for all the difficulty of our time, the gates of hell will not stand against the offensive nature of the church. And I don't mean offensive to be offensive. I mean that we move forward and that we take ground. And and even in a season like this, the church of Jesus Christ continues to push back darkness, establish order and life and be the light of the world. In fact, I might argue that in the darkness, our little lights might shine even brighter. And so I want to encourage you today 
to see yourself rightly, to consider the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live it out, pastor, minister, preschool director, small group coach, whatever your position, like, like to own that it's our day in the great war and he will sustain us. He will fill us. He will walk with us. In fact, uh, one of my favorite verses right now is actually um, out of the book of Jeremiah. And it says, behold, the Lord is a dread warrior and he fights for you. I just love like the Lord is fighting for us. So for all the pressure you feel to be creative or to do this or come up with that or come, I'm just saying, let the Lord fight for you. Believe what he says about you is true. Abide in him. Faithfulness to Jesus is a byproduct of believing what the Bible says about you, of abiding in the presence of Jesus and then faithfulness to Jesus. Again, it's a byproduct of these other two. It's hard to be faithful to Jesus without abiding in his presence. Impossible to abide in his presence if you don't believe what he says about you is true. And so let me encourage you again. You are of God and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Uh, man, they're all over this country. Their context and unique difficulties, they're known to you, uh, to you alone. And so I just ask that you would minister to them in this moment. Uh, I thank you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. But I do pray that after this, this series of, of sermons and, and our encouraging and edifying them, Father, that they would find um, gospel ambition and courage begin to flow through their bones again. And just, we just collectively pray against the evil one, his schemes for our churches, for our cities, for our towns, for our nation. We desperately ask you to just pour your spirit out on us, pour your spirit out on our churches, on our cities, on our states, on our country. Will you pour yourself out in such a way that a movement begins back to you? It is clear that we have our face set against you right now. So will you, for the sake of your name, for the good of your children who are crying out for it all over the place, would you move, would you save, would you... Um, hit the brakes on this cultural decline. And when you begin to move us back towards gladness in you, joy in you, surrender to you, life marked by your presence, marked by the ambition that comes when we know who we are, we abide in your presence and we walk out in faithfulness. We need your help. It's for your beautiful name, I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the X29 Podcast. Hope it was a blessing for you to hear from Matt Chandler and be on the lookout for more information about our conferences happening this fall. And remember, listeners, let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth.